Amen. You may be seated. I'll dismiss the older uh, elementary kids to the back. They'll go with uh, the McKenzie's. Who else is back there? Take them. Phillips. All right. Parents, when uh, you came in, all of us came in, you received a little uh, family activity guide to follow along with what they're learning back there. So our uh, pre-K um, guys will be learning Jesus Storybook Bible, and uh, our older kids back there will be walking through our catechism. I encourage you this week, if you don't make it, if it's not normal in your household, to take a step there and um, reinforce some of the things they're learning here. And you'll do this as a family, and hopefully that'll become a valued rhythm of your family. We want to help you in that as a church. So, um, so that's in there. Be aware of, of that and what they're learning. And some of the stuff they're learning is pretty challenging, just to be honest with you. Even as I read it along with them, it's pretty challenging. It's really, really, really good. Um, I invite you to open your uh, Bibles or your device or whatever you have uh, the Scripture on to Proverbs chapter 2. Um, and I've heard this before from some of our people where you're going to have it on the screen. And that's true. We're going to have a lot of it on the screen. But I want you to see it. I want you to see it kind of right in front of you. I want you to see it in the Word. Um, because we know that the Word of God is infallible, but what I'm going to say is not. So everything that I say should be uh, taken and compared against God's Word to see what ultimate truth is. We started the book of Proverbs several weeks ago. We took a break last week to kind of focus on kind of some vision and where we're headed in our groups. But we're going to get back to the book of Proverbs, and we're kind of walking through this thematically. We introduced at the beginning this idea of wisdom and what wisdom is. Um, And then... uh, Second sermon in the book of Proverbs, we talked about the characters on the path of folly. We talked about the simple and the foolish and the evil. Um, And so I encourage you to uh, listen to those if you haven't, to kind of be caught up with where we're going. And today we're going to talk about the pursuit of wisdom. Before I do that, I want to just remind you of a few things in the book of Proverbs. First, the first nine chapters is a father to his son. The wise father pleading with his son to walk in the way of wisdom and then warning him about the dangers of walking in the way of folly. To walk in the way of wisdom is to walk in the way of Christ. To pursue wisdom is to pursue Christ. Colossians 2 tells us that in Christ are all uh, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So we know that in Christ we see wisdom personified. So when Proverbs is talking about wisdom, it's talking to us about Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God in the flesh for us to see. All we know of God the Father in the Old Testament is seen more clearly through the lens of who Jesus is. Scripture says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, Hebrews chapter 1. So as we come to the book of Proverbs, God doesn't intend to crush us with layer upon layer of demand. He intends to help us. The book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the defeated, his warning to the proud, his mercy for the broken. The book of Proverbs is the gospel. It's good news for the hopeless through the wisdom of Jesus and in a life that is submitted to him. We're going to look at chapter 2 today and probably get through the whole chapter if we have time. I want to pray for us real quickly before we get started. If you would just pause and uh, would you ask God to speak to you? If you've come just because this is an event or a tradition, just to hear me speak, then you've you're going to miss out on a lot. Would you ask God, the creator of the entire universe, to speak to you?
Father, you are great and awesome and mighty and holy, and you are near. Your word tells us that you're near to the brokenhearted, that you're, you're near to those who seek after you. And if we're honest, our lives are really busy, a lot of noise going on from all kinds of different places, and we need you to speak to us. Some of us are weary and burdened. Some of us are hurt. Some of us complacent. So, Father, would you speak to us through your words? May, may your words be living words to us. Would you give us new taste buds that we would desire the truth of your words and the discipline to apply it? Bring conviction where there's sin and hope where there's weariness. We would see you, Jesus, high and lifted up. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We read um, again, in, starting in chapter 2, the first five verses. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. As we move from chapter 1 to chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs, this wise father, as he closed chapter 1, if you remember, he's warning his son against the, uh, those that are on the path to folly, the simple, the ignorant, the foolish, the evil. It's funny, after that message, several of you sent me emails or contacted me or called me in the back and talked about where you think you stand on that road. Sometimes maybe simple, not thinking about the destination of where you're going. Some of you may be foolish. You know the destination where you're going and you just don't care anymore. You just want to live for here and now and do what feels good. No one said that they were this evil person and most evil people don't know that that's the, uh, the route that they're on. But all of those, no matter which one, the ignorant or simple, the foolish or the evil are all headed, Scripture says on a road, a path of folly, with its end in destruction. So after warning his son about these characters on this path to folly, he gets into this idea of wisdom and what it means to pursue it. And as you read chapter 2, if you're familiar with it at all, and as we read it today, you're going to notice that there are no commands in chapter 2 because you can't command someone else to walk in wisdom. It's the only choice that they're going to have to make. And as a wise father to your kids, you can invite them. You can model what wisdom looks like. You can make it very precious to you. You can uh, surround yourself around other wise people. But ultimately for your kids, that's a choice that they're going to have to make or not to make. And even for us in this room, it's a choice that we have to make every day. Are we going to pursue wisdom and walk in wisdom? Or are we going to do something completely different than that? So this father's modeling wisdom. He's pleading with his son to walk in wisdom. But at some point, the son has got to be the one that's making these decisions. Also, I want you to notice as we start that there are these if-then statements. You saw several of them as we got started. If, he says in verse 1, you receive my words. In verse 3, if you call out for insight. In verse 4, if you seek it like silver. And that's followed by some then statements. You know if-then statements. Then in verse 5, you will understand the fear of the Lord. Then in verse 9, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. Now, every if-then statement is based upon this action-reaction type of agreement. And those of you who've got kids, you understand this. 
The key is that the if has got to be very clear and the then has got to be something worth having. It's got to be something rewarding. If you tell your kids, kids, if you finish all your vegetables, then dad's going to give you a hug. The if then is the if is very clear, but the then is not that rewarding, at least not for my kids. They get hugs all the time. They don't care. You can't tell your kids, kids, if you go clean your room, then dad's going to give you a carrot. See, the the if is still very clear, but the then is not very rewarding. It's not very motivating. I do this with my kids um, all the time. If I go into Target, and Ashley's not with me, but I've got the three kids, we we lay out an if-then agreement. If you're good and you don't touch anything while we're in the store, then on the way to checkout, I'll let you pick something out from the dollar section. If-then. I always said I wouldn't be the parent that bribes my kids, but I am, and it works sometimes. If you are obedient, I tell them, don't touch anything, then you will be rewarded. The if has got to be clear, the then has got to be worth it. If I said, if you're good, then I'm going to get you something, the get you something doesn't motivate them. Also, their version of good and my version of good sometimes are very different. The if has got to be clear, the then has got to be worth it. So we see that here, right? The wise father lays out these ifs very clearly. And then again, with clarity, lays out the rewards that follow. If you pursue wisdom, then you will get these things. And I'm going to look at those in the first few verses. These if statements. He says, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Receive my words and treasure up my commandments. The only way the son will receive the words and treasure up the commandments is if he believes in his heart that he needs the words and he needs the commandments. This is kind of the first thought here is we've got to pursue wisdom with humility. All pursuit of wisdom and all pursuit of Christ has has to come from a humble heart. That's exactly why we started this series a couple weeks ago with this idea of listening with humility. If you think you've got everything under control, if you think that your life is just great and you've got everything, you know everything, you don't need any kind of outside help, then you'll never come needy. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the needy. Blessed are the spiritual needy. Blessed are those who know that they need God. Parents, you know that nothing is harder than trying to help a proud child. More than that, more dangerous than that maybe, I get requests all the time for uh, marriage counseling and the two will sit in front of me and both of them, their goal will be that I would fix their spouse for them. They both come into the counseling thinking, man, it's my wife's fault. And the wife think, man, I shouldn't have married such a loser husband. And, And they both are sitting in front of me, both intent on fixing the other person and that marriage will never thrive. They'll never understand that they are the ones that have the problems. They've got to work on themselves. They've got to have this certain amount of humility before you're ever going to have a thriving marriage. Your kids have got to understand that they've got to depend upon other people, that they're not wise in all areas. And the same spiritual truth is there for us. If we're really to grow in wisdom, we have to come to an understanding, first, that we desperately need wisdom, that we don't naturally have wisdom, and the Word of God applied through the Holy Spirit is the source for all of life's wisdom. And we have to pursue it with a humble heart. We've got to pursue wisdom with humility. 
Next thing, we gotta pursue wisdom with intentionality. As we read in chapter two, look how these words just build upon themselves. It says, if you receive, if you treasure up, if you make your ear attentive, if you incline your heart, if you call out or raise your voice or seek or search, you see the point that wisdom is not automatic for us. Seeking wisdom is not automatic for us. Wisdom's not our default setting. Pursuing it is not our natural bent. We will never understand wisdom by drifting. You cannot become a significant person by being neutral and cute and safely unchanged. That's complacency. Scripture says that's what the fool does. Verse two, it says, making your ear attentive. If you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, again, here's verse two. You might underline this if you write in your Bible or highlight it in your app that you're using. Making your ear attentive. Making your ear attentive. Not just to hear it, but to listen to it. Jesus would use this phrase frequently, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus is not talking about anatomy here. Surely most of the people in the congregation had at least one physical ear. They're listening to him. He's not saying, hey, those of you with ears, listen in. Those of you that don't have ears, I got a different message for you. He's asking these people to lean in and not only hear it, but listen to it, to apply it. Jesus is saying it's the posture of the heart that he's getting after. He wants people to hear and to apply. One scholar says this word literally means listen, ready to obey. To immediately apply it. Like a track star that's kneeling down at the starting line waiting on the gun to come off is how we should encounter God's word. We're listening, ready to engage. Listening, ready to apply. And there's this myth within the church and within Christianity that we can just be around the word. Then our lives will somehow take on its shape. That it's good enough just for us to listen to it, to be here on a Sunday morning and we'll hear it. It's good enough for us just to have a Bible in our house. But we never submit ourselves under its authority. We never try to rearrange the priorities of our lives so that we can live it. We never invite anyone else in to help us be accountable to do what it says. And this is not a new problem. Jesus was always challenging the religious elite of the day to do this very thing. So did his brother James. You can read in James 1, don't merely listen to the word, do what it says. Don't merely listen to it, but do it. Look at the next part of verse 2, inclining your heart to understanding. So the first part, again, this is the if. If we receive the words, if we make our ear attentive, if we incline our heart to understanding. This word incline literally means to make moldable or bendable. Meaning again, you've come with a humble heart, you've pursued wisdom intentionally, you've, pers- you've pursued it with this desire to apply it, but even more than that, you're listening knowing that you're being shaped into something greater than what you currently are. You're being, you're being shaped into the image of Jesus. And this picture in the Old Testament of the, the God, the father, the potter, and he's working with the clay and he's molding it into the image that in his mind, he's designed this thing to be. And some of that requires him to pull out parts of it that are, have impurities and that are going to mar the ultimate result. And that's what God, the father does with us. This is the process of sanctification all the way through scripture that God has created you 
with this picture in mind that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And he's promised you that he's going to continue that process as you walk with him. This is literally what discipleship is. I don't know what kind of, um, what kind of uh, context you came from. Growing up for me, discipleship was a class that I learned a lot in. And you had to be really disciplined because you had to be there at 4.15 on Sunday evenings to learn this, this stuff. Right in the middle of football, right? So you had to really want it, 4.15. And we would go and we would learn a lot of things, but there was no application. This idea of discipleship really is this rhythm of listening and obeying. It's conforming your life to the life that God has destined for you. It's the life that we see in Jesus. Have you ever noticed in the Great Commission that Jesus doesn't tell us just to go and teach everyone his commands? You see the nuance there? No, he goes and tells us to teach everyone to obey these commands. How do you teach someone to obey something but by showing them what this kind of life really looks like and holding them accountable to walk in truth and in grace? This pursuit of wisdom is always intentional Submissive pursuit. And I think this is the gotcha. If there's a gotcha in the sermon this week, this is it. Because I think we could all come to this and we would say, you know what? I do. Luke, I I pursue wisdom humbly. I understand that I don't have everything figured out. And I understand there's a desperate need for other people speaking truth into me. But I think some of us fail with this intentional pursuit or we just only intentionally pursue it when life gets really difficult. But this third point, I think, is kind of the gotcha that we've got to pursue wisdom with priority. Pursue it with priority. This is what the wise father says, God the Father speaking to us. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures. To seek it like silver. To search for it as hidden treasures. Maybe there's something really valuable that you've lost at some point. We've all been there, right? We've lost something really valuable. Either a gift to us or something that we need, like the keys. I lose my keys at least three times a day. I'm just always losing them. And then it's this pursuit. And if you don't find them on the initial search, like a little panic sets in, well... I'm not sure where this is. And it would go layer and layer. And then after a while, everybody is searching for this one thing that you've lost. Had a church planter walking through assessment. And I was one of his coaches walking him and his family through assessment. We were in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. In the introductory time, I, I introduced myself to them. And there's probably eight different uh, couples in the room. And all of them have, uh, have someone who's planted a church before kind of in this assessment room. And we're just getting to know them. And, I said, well, how's, how's it going? They said, well, things are good. And then I said, you know, just tell me about life this last season. Anything just crazy happen? And they both began to weep. And I knew I asked the wrong question. I'm one of those guys, I know I'm a pastor and I should do really well at this. When people start weeping, I don't know what to do. I'm this, you pat them on the back, do you give them a hug? You, I just, I just want to run at that point. Um, Terrible pastoral advice. If you really want to cry about something, uh, call Jason. He will weep with you with the best of them. They go into this story that just a couple weeks before, they were visiting some friends at this golf course, and they had rented this house on this golf course. 
Uh, they've got six kids. They put all their kids to bed. About 2 o'clock in the morning, the police come to their door and said, Hey, are you, uh, are you missing one of your kids? And they're like, No, all my kids are asleep, man. It's, you know, 2 in the morning. So, well, a neighbor just called, and there was a kid running around in a diaper. And they're like, Well, that's strange. So they go check on their kids, and they're missing their 2-year-old. It's not there. The mom and dad, you can imagine, panic is setting in. So they do the cursory search and get all the kids up, and they're checking everywhere inside. And the neighbor had come over and said, yeah, you know, I was, I was looking out. I uh, heard my dogs barking. I looked outside, and there was a kid in a diaper kind of, you know, running around the yard out there. Temperature's getting colder. They said it's 45 degrees. Real panic setting in. They call the police. They call everyone. They begin searching for hours and hours. Five o'clock in the morning, the mom happened to find her son standing in someone's shed, standing there just crying. Even as I tell the story, I just see the tears flowing out of this mama's eyes. Somehow the son had gone downstairs in an unfamiliar house and opened the deadbolt and just walked away. I came home and put deadbolts really high in all of my houses. <laughs> that is not happening. Can you imagine the motivation for this mom and this dad who are searching for, to them, what was their treasure? Their son had gone missing. And she's calling at the top of her lungs, and she's waking up everybody in the neighborhood because it does not matter. Because the thing that is worth so much to her is not with her, and she is upending everything in order to find her son. And this is what this is talking about, this, this pursuit of wisdom in such a way that, that the... Uh, the author of Proverbs is using, if you seek it like silver, it's so valuable, and you search for it as hidden treasures. That the cursory search, if you don't find the hidden treasures, you're not stopping. This is this pursuit. This is this idea of pursuing wisdom with priority. Wisdom is not pursued casually or dabbled in here or there. There's this wholeheartedness in this pursuit of wisdom. That is the wholeheartedness that God requires of us. C.S. Lewis in his book, Weight of Glory, says it this way. God cannot bless us unless he has us. When we try to keep within us an area that is our own, we try to keep an area of death. Therefore, in love, God claims all. There is no bargaining with him. C.S. Lewis is saying that we cannot come to God and say, God, I want to go to heaven when I die, but I want to live however I want to. Or I want to submit these parts to you, but I don't want to submit everything. And that is not the way that God works. He invites us and calls us to give him everything. And we should look at our lives here. Prayerlessness in our life is simply a declaration that we don't need God. It's us telling God on a daily basis or hourly basis, never mind God, I've got this. This is what Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6, as he talks about all the things that we need to live, food and clothing. And he said, don't worry about those things. What I want you to do is set your heart toward seeking me first. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then God promises, uh, I'll take care of all those other things. Also in Matthew, this parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the guy goes through the field and he finds the treasure and then he goes liquidates everything he has so that he can buy the field so that he can get the treasure and it says he does this with joy and it's followed up by this by this uh parable about the pearl of great price that a man would liquidate everything he has in order to have this great treasure 
that the kingdom of God is so valuable, you would be an idiot not to liquidate everything the world offers in order to find this great lasting treasure is what Jesus is saying. And that is also what the wise father is calling out to the son. Listen, you're not going to just passively pursue wisdom. It's got to be a priority. When you fail to, to actively pursue wisdom, it's always a decision to passively fail. When you fail to actively pursue wisdom, it's always a decision to passively fail. A failure to pursue Christ is always a decision to passively fail. You don't need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. That's what it talks about in Proverbs 132. It's the complacency of fools, it says, that destroys them. Again, I told you this is the gotcha. Because I know you and I know me. And most of us, we think, well, we've, we've got this salvation thing and we're going to go to heaven one day and, and we know enough about God's word and slowly we get kind of lulled to sleep. Complacent may be a good name for it. Maybe better to be apathetic that on our daily rhythm of our life, we don't wake up pursuing God. We don't think, man, if I don't just get in God's word and get, get my eyes up just for a little bit, there's no way I'm going to be able to do today. We, we fill our mind and our ears and our eyes with so many other things that are not the pursuit of wisdom. And in doing so, we become complacent. The complacency of fools destroys them, it says. But if your heart yearns for God and you're longing for a better life, can't you see here in these first few verses that anyone can go deep with God, that anyone can have a heart for God? Proverbs 2 is one of the most helpful passages in the Bible because it explains what growth and renewal really feels like. This passage explains the psychology of change. This new mentality is the opposite of complacency. You know what happens to people who are seeing God in powerful ways? Transformation happens. Look at those if statements again. If you receive my words in verse 1. And treasure my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it. As for hidden treasures, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. I love that imagery that... God the Father is storing up sound wisdom for those who pursue it. That he's got these storehouses of wisdom that he readily releases to us when we pursue it. And so much of it we never get to see because we do not pursue. We think we're good. We don't need the discipline of pursuing this kind of wisdom. That he's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints Verse 9, there's the second then statement. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. I love that phrase too, every good path. 
Like maybe in life you've come to a fork in the road and didn't know which way to go. Wisdom is what will help you make that decision to choose the right path. Not only will it help you find the right path, but wisdom will also guard you from taking the wrong path. Look at Scripture, Proverbs 2, as we keep going in verse 12. These wrong paths, the path of evil men, it says in verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice at doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. He guards your path from evil men and from evil women. Let's keep reading verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. The evil woman here certainly represents all sorts of sexual sin, But more than that, any sort of idolatry that tries to woo you away from what you know is right and true. Notice, too, how both of them are trying to woo the son with their words. In verse 12, with this perverted speech. This idea of being accepted, this idea of taking just one element of truth and twisting it is what makes it perverted. It's not true. It's not straight anymore. It's got some truth to it, but it becomes perverted. They're trying to woo the son away from wisdom. So men in their perverted speech, and then the evil woman with her smooth words. Again, these are words that entice. These are words that lure well, how do you know the difference? If it's got some truth in it with, with a perversion or, or if it sounds really good. This mantra in the world we live in today is, it sounds a little bit like this. Well, just trust your heart. If it feels, if it feels right, then it must be right. Look at all these other people that are doing it. This is just going to be just this small area of negligence. It's just not going to be that big of a deal. And with it, they're wooing you from the way of wisdom and onto the path of folly. This is why you have to focus so intently on the way of wisdom, not to be entangled by these dangerous things. You've got to pursue it with, pursue it with humility and with intentionality and with priority. And here's just a word of caution for all of us. Most times you probably won't feel like pursuing wisdom. Your alarm doesn't go off at 5.30 and you're just chomping at the bit to get out of bed and to get into God's word. That might happen like that sometimes, but most times, at least in my life, it does not happen like that. The alarm goes off and I think I'm so tired. The alarm goes off and I think, man, my kids came in the house, uh, all hours, I came in the room all hours of the night last night or... I stayed up too late or I just didn't sleep well. The alarm goes off and spending time with God is not my first inclination. Very rarely do I feel like pursuing wisdom. 
You know what I feel like pursuing? I like those smooth words of the evil. They're far more enticing. Or I like this life of complacency. It's so far more appealing. But we pursue wisdom. We seek it like silver even when we don't feel like it. Why do we do that? Because it's worth it. Because we know it's worth it. Here's one thing that I found to be true. The the desire for Christ is a result of seeking, not necessarily the motivation for seeking. Desire for Christ is the result of seeking. That as we seek it and we taste it, the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Desire for Christ is the result of seeking, not necessarily the motivation for seeking. If we wait until we feel like it to pursue Christ, we might not ever find the way of wisdom. But as we taste and see that God is good, we find a passion to pursue all the more. We don't pursue Christ most of the time because we feel like it. We pursue Christ because we believe at the very inside of who we are by faith that Christ is better. We believe by faith that the psalmist is right when he says that in God's presence there's a fullness of joy and in his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. This is why I love this song that we sing sometimes that Jesus is better because my heart is fickle. And I'm tempted to stop seeking, stop pursuing wisdom. I'm tempted to grow apathetic and complacent. And not just in a season of my life, but every day of my life, I'm tempted just to say, well, man, just take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit, Luke. You don't have to pursue. I need to pray as the man did in Mark 9. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It would be a travesty for us to be so close to the word of God, the words of wisdom, but be bought into the myth that all we have to do is be around it and never submit our life to it. To be so close to the way of wisdom, but yet spend our life walking the way of folly. And back to chapter one, this is the voice of wisdom that's calling out to us in the streets. And this is the voice of Christ that's calling out to everyone in this room. Hey, come and follow me. Come, follow me. This wisdom who beckons us is none other than Christ Jesus. While the folly that attempts to seduce us is any created thing that we put in place of the creator, Romans 122 would talk about. The wise man chooses Jesus and his gospel, whereas the fool chooses the empty idolatry and folly of this world. And these are the two paths that lay before every one of us today. As we come to the table this morning to take communion, let us be reminded that Christ drank the bitter cup of death on our behalf so that we would not have to be slaves to sin anymore, stuck on the path of folly that leads to certain destruction, but that we could be set free from slavery and we could choose life in Christ. And my appeal to all of us this morning is that you would choose Christ again and again certainly as your savior and hope for heaven, but that you would choose every day to follow him as Lord. One who knows you, created you, who designed the world to work in a certain way, and he's calling out to us again to come and to follow me, to submit to the yoke again, to walk in a discipleship relationship, to trust our lives to him. I'm going to pray for us. Our communion servers are going to come, and you don't have to be a member here to participate in communion. But Scripture says you do have to be part of God's church. 
you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you desire to walk in obedience to him. And if that's you, in a minute I'll invite you to come. And if that's not you, please don't be embarrassed. We just ask you to sit this one out and maybe you'd think about what it might mean to trust Christ as your Savior. And I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray with you. But I feel like most of us Somewhere along the way, we just quit fighting to pursue wisdom. We just got complacent, maybe apathetic. Maybe it's been a long time since we've heard the voice of God to us. This morning is a time to choose again to follow him. To renew the covenant maybe you made with him years ago to trust him. I invite you to do that today. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. Or that your kindness is what leads us to repentance. That no matter what anyone in this room has done, what sin or what addiction has entangled us or enslaved us, that you're more powerful than those things. You said of yourself that you've come to set the captives free. And Father, I pray that through the work of your gospel today, that that's exactly what's happening. As people turn from their own way and they place their faith and trust in you, that literal chains would fall off of them, that they would be able to follow you. Father, for others who just don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you'd speak very clearly to them. Thank you for your long-suffering and patience with us. For those that are complacent today, Lord, would you renew a fire within us as Paul instructs young Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 to fan into flame what once was this burning desire to follow Christ. I thank you for communion and what it represents. Your death on our behalf. You being condemned so that we could be set free. receiving the consequence of our sin so that we could receive the adoption as your sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, speak very clearly to our hearts about what our next steps might be. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Take some time and pray where you're at and then when you're ready, come and participate in communion and then um, invite you to sing with us. Again, I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray about something.
I see you. 
temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on Father, um, as we talked about, as we sang, uh, you are beautiful. You are the great treasure. (laughs) Turning away from ourselves and our sin is just, it's nothing in light of how great and how beautiful and how mighty and loving and sovereign and creative you are, Lord. And so today, I pray that our lifting our hearts and our eyes to you and seeing your supreme worth, Lord, lets us see how small these things we cling to actually are. As we continue to worship you, Father, Lord, we actually give back to you your money. And so and use our gifts and our 